Things are heating up here on the Hops and Spirits Podcast. Welcome into another edition. I'm your host, Jonathan Green. We're in the midst of summer school 2021. And we also hit July as well, man. Time flies when you're having fun. If you missed any of our past episodes, you got to check them out. Uh, like our Summer School 2021 series on building innovative brands, how to start a whiskey collection, summer beers and summer cocktails, and grains and their impact on whiskey. All great. All of our episodes are great, if I do say so myself. Uh, find those on your favorite podcast players, also on Facebook and YouTube. You can get the link on any of our social media pages at Hop Spirits, all one word. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can find us anywhere. And uh, make sure you pay attention to our social medias. We do some fun things like our Give to Try highlights, which drop every Monday, and our cocktail quickies, which shake things up on Fridays. Let's not waste any more time, and let's get into the episode. Joining us here for another uh, edition of the Hops and Spirits podcast, Summer School 2021, is Jeff Evans, the CEO co-founder of Mean Mule Distilling Co. in Kansas City. Jeff, thanks for uh, coming to talk a little agave spirits with us. Yeah, John, thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. And um, it's, it's kind of nice. You know, we talk a lot about beer and bourbon and whiskey, but a lot of people like uh, agave, which more people would probably know tequila. Uh, but but uh, due to some some certain wording, you, you guys chose agave spirits, and we'll get into that here in just a little bit. But because we're talking summer school 2021, I figured your one tough question would be school-based. So have you always been someone that has enjoyed learning, uh, over, or has that come more later in life? Uh, or or, or how, how is your right, learning Excellent question. Uh, so uh, as, a, as a kid... Um, I would get pretty obsessive about things. Um, so there would always be a subject that would intrigue me. And then, um, and I would do everything I could to learn about that one subject for, uh, I mean, weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks till I became basically an expert in that subject and it bored me. And then I would just move on to the next thing. So, and that has followed on in my adult life as well. I, I do tend to obsess about things, uh, and learn everything I can about them. And then, uh, and then I move on to the next thing probably you know, a few months later. <laughs> I've always been one that I've loved to learn, maybe not always about the topic I should learn about, you know, whether it was school or, or even sometimes work. I'm kind of like that random fact uh, person. Not, not that I'm yeah. going on Jeopardy or anything like that, but I just know a whole lot of useless information because I, I go down a rabbit hole and the next thing I know, it's a couple hours later and <laughs> I've done a lot of reading on, on a very, very random topic. So I think it's always fun to just keep learning about, about different things, whether it's your own industry or, or just, you know, something that you, you enjoy outside of that. That's right. And you know, my, I probably would have been far more successful in my college career. Uh, if I, my two passions had of, you know, found a way to meet up. So, uh, if I had have been <laughs> obsessive about school, I would have done phenomenally, but for some reason, school is just kind of like a job. I don't know why. It's just, um. Yeah, sometimes it's not as much fun. I, I always joke with people, especially on the podcast. I'm like, man, if they'd have told me about getting into the beer world or not that I was like crazy into beer in high school or college, like, you know, like that. But I mean, of course, my career of course path could have been, yeah, you know, could have been totally different, totally different. <laughs> so, uh, but we're here to talk, you know, the, the, your, your company, Mean Mule, and making uh, agave spirits in America. And, and I guess my first question for you is what drew you all to launching a spirits company? <laughs> you know that uh, obsessive thing I was talking about earlier? Uh, so let's take a few steps back from that first. Um, 
so I at the time was working in the engineering field. So I was a uh, uh, machine design mechanical engineer, specializing in machine design for large scale factories and mostly automotive. And uh, it was a pretty tough industry, and uh, I ended up being thrown <laughs> out of the industry. So I had the opportunity to do something for myself. Uh, so. You know, I went with something with zero risk, like starting my own company, doing a spirit that had never been done before. Uh, <laughs> and if I could go back, I probably probably would have just made whiskey. Uh, but uh, you know, I had I'd been trying a couple things allegedly in my basement, and the one thing I could not figure out was agave spirits. Right? Um, I, I just I couldn't make it work, and so. Uh, that frustrated me to no end to the point where I was going to become the master at this, right? I was going to conquer it. And so I can remember my wife, she doesn't often go down into the basement because uh, we've got an older house. And so she comes home from work and, you know, I hadn't had a job for about, I don't know, a month and a half. And she walks down there and there is this laboratory, this just huge laboratory. And she's like, what have you done? What are you doing? I was like, no, all this was totally free. I just bought it. I, I got it all on Craigslist on the free section. You know, those drums and this and that. Put it all together. And uh, and so then she's super pragmatic. And uh, I could kind of see uh, the dollar signs rolling, you know, behind her eyes a little bit. And she was like, we're, we're going to do this for real. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and, uh, and so she comes from, a little story about her is she comes from like five generations of distilling tradition. So like her great, 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 great grandmother imported from Germany in the early 1800s and uh, built a still and started a, a company. And so she passed that knowledge down to each generation uh, that, that followed her. And in the 1920s, there was a little bit of a social and economic change as far as alcohol is concerned. We call that prohibition. And that didn't stop her family, uh, my wife's family, from making alcohol. It just made them a little bit more careful. At the time, her great-grandfather Fitz uh, he was running, he was running the whole operation. Well, one day one of his customers decided he'd gotten a bad deal. So he reported pits to the feds. So here come these two revenueers up the long drive of the house, uh, going to take Fitz to jail. And all 12 kids were out on the front porch crying. And her grandmother told the story constantly. She was, I think six, five or six at that time. Well, anyways, these two revenueers couldn't catch Fitz. So they ran, uh, Fitz ran and they tried to chase him. Couldn't catch him. So they find the operation. Uh, they decide they're just basically going to find the operation on the property and shut it all down, come back later. They find this building on the back of the op, um, and they knew, I mean, they knew it was in there, right? It wasn't the first time. Uh, what they did know is that Fitz, being a very uh, careful fellow, had built a false floor inside of this building. And on top of that floor, he'd gone out and he bought the meanest mule that money could buy. And underneath the floor, he had his whole operation. And so uh, these two revenuers kick open this door and kind of in their ignorance and kind of in their arrogance and they come face to face with 700 pounds of mean Missouri Fury. And uh, within two minutes, one man was dragging the other one down the road and they never came back. <laughs> so we're called the Mean Mule Distilling Company because we wanted to have a hat tip to that, uh, that interaction there. Because only one, they, you know, one mule could save five generations of distilling tradition. That's, that's a beautiful thing to write a story on. So. Um, at the time, the family was not making, say, agave spirits. Uh, it was mostly corn, whiskeys, fruit brandies, that kind of thing. And so we wanted to apply a lot of that old knowledge uh, to a new horizon. And it's been going.
I, I was I, I love stories like that, especially when you can tie your history to family history and it's real family history, real stories passed down, not you know what I call the quote unquote manu- manufactured ones that some some magically oh I found this recipe in an old shoe. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I also love that you were kind of doing some home, home brewing, home distilling, uh, all, you know, what, however you want to phrase it. Um, what was it like working and learning on something like that? Well, I, as a caveat, I should put it out there. Uh, the fed really doesn't like you doing that. Uh, Missouri's a funny, Missouri's a funny state in that they have laws allowing, uh, the home distillation, the home creation of alcohol. It depends on who you ask, but the majority is, majority of people would say yes. Um, it's kind of written, written in the state laws there. The, the Fed considers it to be what we call a crime. Uh, so, you know, I encourage everyone to follow the law. Um, but if you happen <laughs> upon some knowledge by accident and then want to start your own thing, like I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, yeah, so it was... You know, so the area we're in here in Kansas City, there's something like nine uh, breweries, three distilleries, and a winery, and like two blocks, right? And so I get a chance to meet a lot of brewers, uh, a lot of distillers, and a lot of winemakers, and I realize that, you know, brewers tend to be like happy-go-lucky, super jovial, they share, they they like each other, uh, and that's because they've, they've gotten a chance to make their uh, craft in the sunlight, right? <laughs> in a garage with an <laughs> inviting their friends over whereas distillers they hate each other uh, because they've all had to like be in their basement and wonder whether or not today's the day that they get busted right uh, so it's <laughs> it's it's really funny to see uh, I, I love that because it, it is true I mean it, you know things are, are some are looked uh, more proudly upon than, than others uh, you, you touched a little bit about the, the mean mule name was that a given that you were going to call it that based on that story when you started, or did you kick around a few other names, uh, or how did you guys I mean, settle on that? We kicked around some terrible names first. I'll, I'll be straight with you. <laughs> uh, 816 Distillery was one that we kicked around. Ugh. And I'm so glad. My wife, she's the, the person that has all the great ideas around here. I just do numbers, and I design stuff, and I build stuff. Like That's, that's my only claim to fame. My wife actually has a, a brain. Uh, and so... Uh, she was like, yeah, we're not, we're not calling it 816 Distillery. We'll call it Mean Mule Distilling Co. because we want to use the story of my family. And I was like, God, it's perfect. It's great. Yeah. Uh, and and she, she is a genius. And as, as I have learned, listen to your wife, things go a whole lot, be- <laughs> a lot better <laughs> with life. <laughs> um, now, you know, we, we talked about agave spirits and people might be going, well, what is that? And I kind of touched on it. It's, it's tequila for the most part heart it's just like cognac and other things tequila is done in a certain region in mexico things come a certain way so i'm guessing is that how you guys settled on agave spirits and then i'm guessing there too is a little bit of a a difference as well well you know so uh when we first got into it uh we didn't know what the rules were right because i was coming in this from a totally different background than most people do and so uh, we learned pretty quickly that words like tequila and mezcal uh, we were totally off limits, uh, which is a good thing, honestly, um, because we're not here to misappropriate, you know, 3,000 years of culture uh, to try to make a buck. Uh, but what it did do is it kind of set the stage for us to start this new thing, right? And the world itself has moved a really funny direction. The, the, best, uh, the best vodka is no longer made in Russia. The best gin is no longer made in England, right? The best bourbon isn't made in Bourbon County. It's made in Japan. So now we're 
uh, we're in this zone where um, uh, people, countries, cultures pick up things based on whether or not it suits uh, suits the values of that system. And so for us, when we wanted to do agave spirits, it was all about you know bootstrapping and the tradition that we've come from, which is a little bit different than you know what you get from south of the border, but still it was this uh, this tradition of um, you know bringing people together and kind of you know kind of being a rebel a little bit uh, touch a rebellion and so in the whole rebellion side of it itself I think really drove us to agave spirits in general because uh, you know anyone can go out there and just you can either buy whiskey and rebrand it or you can buy gin and rebrand it and so agave spirits at the time and even even now are the only spirit that you cannot buy in bulk uh, unless you buy it from me uh, American agave spirits are the only spirit that you cannot buy in bulk and then rebrand and we specifically will not sell, as the largest producer of agave spirits in the nation, we will not sell spirits to people who just want to rebrand it and sell it on their own. Because we believe uh, in, uh, in the craft of the whole process. We believe that the product that we make has to be made, and agave, American agave spirits in general have to be made in America by, uh, by people, right? Rather than just like sold and rebranded. So that was that was a really big deal for us when we got into this whole thing. Is the uh, the authenticity had to exist in this? And, and when when someone too comes up and goes like, well, well, how, what is agave spirits and how do you, do you kind of say it's similar to tequila or do you go like it's a cousin of it or like how how do you explain, yeah. explain uh, we that say to someone? Sister spirit. Yeah. So we say uh, American agave spirits are a sister spirit to mezcal and tequila and bacchanara and ricea. So tall, these kinds of things, and so uh, it's truly an American variant. It's a truly American style of this, uh, and uh, the flavor profile. Um, and send me your address. I'll make sure you get a bottle here. Uh, the flavor profile is just a touch different than you would typically get from, say, uh, a standard tequila. Uh, we're not brewing with an open top fermenter. Um, there's not a ton of like agave fields around us being that we're in the city of Kansas City and yeah. you know, there's not a lot of agave fields around. So we don't get a lot of those natural enzymes and yeasts that come from the animals and plants around that are typically used to ferment uh, tequila. So, so getting agave uh, to actually ferment here in America was uh, a touch of a, uh, how do you say, challenge? <laughs> yeah. Which I think is pretty much what has made most other distilleries Say, hey, we're not doing this because it, you know, it's an expensive substrate when you buy it, and then you can waste you know a few hundred gallons of it, and you're like, bah, we're not doing this, we're done, we're done, right? And so, we've we've talked to a lot of different uh distilleries who have tried and failed, and uh, I will tell you that probably would have happened to us except for my extremely obsessive personality. So, I couldn't say, see, that. it all comes back. Back to that, and just your ability to back. push through and, and and deep deep dive into something that you you, you had no clue what you were getting into. <laughs> um, right. You know, and at one point, at one point, my brother walked down in my basement, and he was like, "You still haven't figured this out?" I was like, "No, nah, dude." And he was like, "Dude, I got I gotta be honest with you. Like, I get it. You know, quitters never win, and winners never quit. But man, if you're not winning and you're not quitting, then you're just an idiot." <laughs> well, yeah, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I'm sure you can hold that over him just a little, little bit now nowadays. Um, now, now we talked about the agave. Now, I'm guessing you don't get it. You don't have like a farm out back. Uh, where, 
where do you get your agave from and, and what do you use? Right. So we use a Highland agave. It's grown at 6,500 feet. Uh, we use a single source agave farmer in the Jalisco region of Mexico. Uh, and I send him an email, say I need stuff. He sends it my way. So he's been a really good partner this far. Uh, how how was it to to kind of find that? I mean, you know, because again, you're kind of coming at it a different way. You're not right. distilling down there. You're distilling, you know, in America. Was it difficult to find someone willing to work with you, or or was it a little more easy than you expected? Well, you know, I expected it to be a lot more difficult than it actually was. I uh, I did some googling and then got on some websites that referred me to other websites, and eventually I was on websites with the you know, dot MX on it. So I knew I was kind of like on the right track. And so then the phone numbers had more numbers than I was expecting in a plus sign. And so then there was that whole thing. And so by the time I actually talked to someone, uh, you know, I called a guy and he answered the phone in Spanish and I was like, Oh no, I didn't. Why, why didn't I expect this? Like, why didn't I expect this guy would speak Spanish? So I was like, Hey, uh, do you, do you speak English? And he's like, no, I was like, Oh no! And so then the phone kind of like, and a little kid gets on the phone and he speaks English, and I'm like, "Oh, cool! All right, let's talk." <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's kind of where we uh, that's kind of where we got started. Uh, I, I I love that because again, you're just kind of I don't want to say flying by the seat of your pants because uh, from what I gather, you do a lot of research. You're, you're very smart at what you do, but it's got to be fun to kind of reminisce on some of this and and how you got started and where you're at now. You know, I mean, it's good that we remember the good times. Yeah, there was some, <laughs> there was some tough times in there, uh, but yeah, it's been it's been a blast. And and you know, you, you, we we talked a little bit about the Highland Agave. There, did you start off with that from the get go, or did you use some other things and see what worked? How how did that process yeah. go for you all? I mean, so initially, I just like tried to find some jugs of uh, processed agave nectar on the internet, you know, buying it on eBay or Amazon or whatever, and then it would ship to my house. Uh, so that's kind of where I started. Um, but, you know, coming from a manufacturing background, I knew eventually I was gonna need like a supplier and we were going to need to buy a whole lot from them at one time. And so the whole, you know, buying a, I don't know, buying a 500 milliliter bottle at a time was probably not the way to go about it. Um, Cause it would take a lot of bottles, take a lot of bottles. So, um, so we under, we kind of understood that uh, whole side of thing, or I kind of understood that uh, whole side of thing. So I always kind of had my eye open. I was kind of like, I was on the uh, the various home distillation forums trying to see if anyone had a contact or whatever. No one had any sort of contact. So kind of had to uh, kind of had to go forth and figure it out, I suppose. Uh, and, and sometimes that always works out best in in, in the end. Um, you know. When it comes to distilling your, your spirits, um, how do you guys do that? And it, is it similar to say something like a, a people think of when we're talking whiskey, gin, and stuff here in America, or is it more like the mezcal and, and tequila uh, from down south? Yeah, so I would say there's a lot of characteristics of it that are uh, very tequila mezcal. Mm -hmm. uh, it also has a lot of rum characteristics. So uh, all of our equipment, it's not going to surprise you based on what I've said, but so I designed and built all of our equipment, um, and naturally there are some things that had to be different about it because apparently that's who I am. Uh, and so the product it makes is actually pretty fantastic, um, and so it's, it's 
somewhere between a, a rum and a tequila is what it tastes like. And, and I, I, I was going to say, if someone comes there, are they going to be able to like go, okay, that's a still, or are they going to go, what in the world creation did he come up up with? There's there's always a little bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah know, talking- the, the purists show up, and their first question is, why? Like, why would you do this? And my answer is always, I don't know. Like, it just, I was obsessed about it, and here we are. You know, it, it was an experiment that got out of hand. <laughs> And so that seems to pacify them. But ultimately, like this is, you know, this is the direction the world's heading. Um, and so uh, it's it's just part of that necessary change that always happens. Well, and, and talking to other folks, whether they're in the bourbon, the the beer world, they all use different equipment. And some of them have. I mean, you could go in a in two places, and you know, you got a forty foot still in in uh, still Austin, and you know, you got a, a normal old fashioned one, you know, at a, at a long, long heritage brand. So you, you just never know what you're going to see and what works for one might not work for another. But now to, to talk a little bit about the uh, agaves that you do make, um, let, let, let's go into that. Let's go with the uh, silver um, uh, first, which won gold, I believe, at the San Francisco Spirits Competition. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about that and then also what it was like to win an award uh, for it? Yeah, so uh, so our silver obviously is uh, unaged. Ah, it was a fly. That guy. <laughs> uh, it's our pet. Uh, so the silver is unaged. Uh, it's very floral. It has. Uh, it tastes like uh, has citrus notes, pineapple notes, uh, hibiscus notes. Uh, when the fermentation is running, um, and you crack the lid for some reason, it, to me it always smells like Dr Pepper. I don't know why. Um, and I've told people like, hey, does this does this smell like Dr Pepper to you? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, this is weird. So, um, some of that flavor does come over. I wouldn't say that our spirit tastes exactly like Dr. Pepper, uh, which is probably a trademark brand. I don't know if we can say it on the podcast, but we're going to say it anyways. Uh, so, so the the silver is absolutely just a it's beautiful. And so, to be fair, uh, so we hired my brother in law, who is now the sixth generation of distiller in his family. Uh, and at, I, I'll tell you that I submitted some spirits a couple of years ago for the World Spirits Competition, and they did not do well. <laughs> so then, uh, so I, I brought on Tyler, and uh, and Tyler's been making just fantastic products. And so I just told him I was like, hey, you know, we want to submit for the the World Spirits Competition, and he's just so he's a he's an ex-military police officer. He's uh, he's ex-military, and so he just comes in. And he's very like by the book, and and doesn't want any sort of drama, and always shows up at the same time, and does his thing, and everything's clean, and everything works, and everything's organized, and he goes home. Like that's just who he is, and so it's great, right? Uh, no drama whatsoever. And so I tell him like, hey, I want to do this thing, and he's like, why would we do that? I'm like, well, because you're a fantastic spirit. And he's like, okay. I'm like, all right. So I said, so what is your best batch? Like, what have you done? Like, of all these bottles and all these different uh, batches we've done, which one's your best? And he goes, they're all the same. Like, okay, so which one? So he just like snags a bottle. And he's like, ah, just send this to him. I'm like, all right, cool. So, uh, so we submitted in like February, and um, all of our spirits, and I hadn't heard anything for a couple of months, and uh, and I don't know if you're this way, but you know, my head pops off the pillow when I pick up my phone, and I pull up my email, and I just kind of like glance at it with one eye open, you know, trying to wake mm-hmm. up, and I see that we have an email from the World Spirits Competition. I was like, oh, okay, cool, and I get into it, and it says, 
gold medal. I was like, I instantly, I was like, this is a joke. They're going to take this away from us. Like, I'm going to get a call today and they'll be like, oh, no, 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 no. We sent that out by accident. It's totally wrong. And I was like, all right, we'll, we'll see what happens. And three days later, like, nothing had happened. Uh, they hadn't pulled the metal back. So I was like, okay, well, maybe there's some air for this thing. And so, uh, so yeah, about three days in, then we kind of celebrated. Like, I was just going to let them, like, give them the opportunity to take it back if they wanted to, you know? And, uh, but, I mean, we were totally floored. Totally floored. Um, mostly because I almost feel it's slightly sacrilegious for an American-based agave spirit to win any sort of a medal at the World Spirits Competition. But uh, secondly, I think that it really added um, some notoriety to the brand. It was, mm -hmm. it added, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It almost like justified the whole thing, right? Said, okay, this, this has value, this works. And so that was that was wonderful for me, you know, that was wonderful for the whole team. Uh, we ended up taking a silver and a bronze as well, um, and it's a little confusing because silver won gold, gold won bronze, and then heritage won silver. So I'm just thinking about renaming all of them based on whatever their medal. <laughs> <Yeah, right>. uh, <laughs> I mean, that can that could work. That could work. Uh, so. So was the silver like the first one that you all created, or or was it one of the other ones? That, so the so, so the silver's like your baby, and that had to be a very very proud moment then. Yeah, it was man, it was awesome. And then now now to go into the to the gold, what what's the biggest difference between the gold and and the silver, the gold yeah. agave spirit, not the gold medal, the gold agave spirit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's this uh, there's this funny. Oh, there's this funny old rule in uh, the spirits industry, a funny old saying that says that a, a barrel uh, a barrel fixes all sins, or a barrel covers all sins, right? And so the idea thus far has been, you know, if you make a spirit and it's just not quite good enough to be your clean spirit, your silver spirit, your white spirit, you put it in a barrel, let it sit, all of the, uh, the stuff that probably hurts a little bit, if you're talking about your volatile esters, they all evaporate through the barrel, what you're left with is heavier compounds. You pick up a lot of sugars and a lot of flavors from the barrel, and then you get a better product, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I don't like that, right? We we try to maintain a certain level of quality with anything we do. So for our gold, I wanted to take our best products and put it in a barrel, let it sit for like eight weeks and rest, and then uh, and then bottle it. So that's what we do with our gold. Is it's uh, basically rested for eight weeks and. Uh, Number three charm was already wide up barrel. And then our heritage goes into that barrel, so it's a second use barrel. Uh, and then we age it for uh, 12 months. The last, the last batch went for 18 months because I forgot that we had a barrel. <laughs> oh, shoot, we got a special release. That's a special release. It just works out that way. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's, it's a wonderful product. It really is. Um, it has a lot of the qualities that you probably expect from something that has close to two years of age on it. And uh, it turned out far better than we were expecting, probably far better than we deserve. And we're super thankful for that. And, and then, you know, if someone's, you know, c coming there and they're like, all right, tell me what, what, what's the, the, the quick Cliff Notes version of, of the difference between the three. How, how would you explain, explain that to them in terms of maybe taste or, or something like on that end? Yeah, so the first thing people typically ask is, you know, how does it taste different? And the second question they ask is, 
well, what's the cost difference? <laughs> yeah. Stuff, right? So that a bottle of Heritage goes somewhere between sixty and seventy dollars. A uh, bottle of gold goes for somewhere around forty, and then our silver goes for twenty nine ninety nine. And uh, so it's all a little more silver, maybe the rest of them. Um, so that would probably be our flat, our flagship product. Uh, but the flavor profiles you're going to get um, are just, you know, for the silver you get your floral, you get your sweet, you get your uh, uh, your pineapples, and then when it sits in a barrel for just a little bit, you you pick up, you lose a little bit of the floral um, because that's typically some of the volatile esters taste like floral notes, and then uh, you gain just a touch of uh, say vanilla because it's a Missouri white oak barrel. Um, you get plum, you get some of that, um, that darkness from the char, the barrel itself. And then for, uh, for the heritage where it, it goes for a second use barrel, um, the beauty of a second use barrel is you don't get any of that latex that you normally get from first use, right? And so the gold isn't in there long enough to pick any of that latex up either. All the latex typically comes out, or the latex flavor comes out uh, when you're cleaning the barrel and you're putting new product in it. So it's kind of the best of both worlds there. The, the heritage pulls a whole lot of plum, a whole lot of stone fruit. Um, it's, uh, it's like biting into uh, like an overripe peach. It just has this full mouth feel to it. Um, plus you get a lot of the, um, the bar barrel characteristics of like the oak and char and, um, and it, it makes a great product. There's just a touch of the vanilla uh, on there. Most of the vanilla goes into the, um, the gold. Uh, so it, it's it's just enough to add like this um, a really beautiful just like soft note, right? I, I love the complexity of each that you explain because they're while they're all the base same base spirit. It's amazing what what can happen when you you put them in something different or, or you know just change something at the very end, the finish so to speak, and, and what comes comes from there. Now, if, if someone's coming out to visit y'all, um, because hopefully now people are allowed out and, and are getting out a little bit more, uh, what can they expect when they get to go visit uh, Mean Mule? Right. So uh, the tasting room itself uh, runs like a full bar. So uh, it's very Midwest meets Southwest. We've got a gigantic green Persian rug. Uh, there's a blue Chesterfield couch sitting on it. Uh, then we have two uh, forest green uh, armchairs there and a big O table in the middle and then we have a series of uh, somewhat lighter uh, stained oak tables and bar um, everything is offset with this beautiful dark blue that we do and so it really feels like this whole it's like southwest at your grandma's house kind of feel and it's super fun and then um, if people show up and they want to drink at Mean Mule the first thing they have to get is the Paloma it's by far our most popular drink um, most Palomas are typically made with grapefruit juice, but we don't use that. We use a grapefruit, uh, a, a pamplemousse liqueur is what we use. <laughs> uh, and as everyone knows, pamplemousse is the smallest of all the mousses. Uh, so I always tell people to uh, to get the Paloma first. You can't go wrong with the margarita. Our, um, again. Uh, our uh, menu changes every three months, depending on the season and, and what's popular. And so... Uh, right now we've got just some real bangers on the menu uh, that launches uh, middle of next week, uh, and it's it's going to be an absolute blast. It's going to be fantastic. Hey, I was going to say, how nice is it to be able to have cocktails and, and so forth? Because not everyone's going to 
Uh, it sounds like y'all y'all spirits are definitely you could drink them neat because they have so much flavor. But a lot of people that may not be their first like that, exactly how they want to hop into to giving it a try. How nice is it to have a cocktail bar that can come up with some re- really cool ideas and and give people some different options? Yeah. Uh, firstly, you know the the huge step for any spirit is education, right? So like after you buy it, what do you do with it? Does it just go sit on a shelf? Does it sit in the freezer? Like, what happens to it? And so I think that can turn a lot of people off to spirits because their only only interaction they've ever had, short of a margarita with tequila, is taking shots. And they're like, ah, this hurts. (laughs) Everyone has that bad experience with tequila. Like, everybody. So you tell people, hey, we make a variant of that. We make that here. And they're like, ooh, ooh, no. Like, their college years suddenly come back to them. Right? They're like, oh, God, there was this one night. It was rush week. Right? So everyone has that experience. So the, the beautiful part about what we do is we have the opportunity to educate people on what we do, on the quality of our products, on how to make something wonderful. And so over the pandemic, uh, when everything shut down, we took that opportunity because it's always something we've, we've talked about and always something we've done. So we, during the pandemic, we had the opportunity to do that a lot. What we did was uh, we launched cocktail kits. So to apply with both state and federal law, it had to be in its original package, so it was packaged liquor, is what it was, and then just the fixings and, uh, and syrups, custom-made syrups that we'd make in our bar, and we would deliver those to your house in less than two hours uh, for 40 bucks, right? And it would serve 10 people. And <laughs> the amount of kits that we went through, it was wild, wild. We, uh, we beat three years of sales in three months. Yeah, it was wild. And so people were super supportive. Everyone was bored. They wanted something to do. But it gave us the opportunity to educate educate people on, uh, on the, the product we make and then how to make their own thing at home. So it came with recipe cards. Uh, then people started collecting the recipe cards. Then at the end of it, we had, we'd gone through about 15 or 20 different cocktails. Everyone had the recipe cards. They knew what to buy. They knew how to make it. And uh, yeah, it, it really, it really kind of helped us. Uh, establish our place in the market and establish our place in people's homes, um, which is always the goal, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it, and, it's, and it's cool to see too because you know the, it was a tough time for a lot of businesses and and just turn kind of what could have been a very big negative into a huge positive for y'all is, is awesome to see. And and I'm also curious too, like because just, just now that I've jumped into this journey of the podcast, we, we've been doing this over a little little over a year now. I've come to the conclusion like mezcal and tequila seems to be almost that next wave of maybe what could be big. You know what I mean? Like, cause there, there's so many different flavor options now, so many different kind of styles. Is that something that it's nice to almost be kind of ahead of the curve curve on that? And people are now starting to maybe branch out into stuff like the agave spirits more than they might've before. Uh, <laughs> so to answer your first question, is it fun to be ahead of the curve? No, <laughs> no, it, it really sucked for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the funny thing about being ahead of the curve is you're the one that's setting the curve and you're pushing the curve True. forward. And so uh, anyone else who's making agave spirits in America right now, um, they in some ways get to benefit from some of the infrastructure that we set forward. So when we first started this, uh, the federal government had no designation for agave spirits made in America. So to get a label approved, and to, what's called a COLA, to get a COLA approved took us something like nine months. 
uh, a standard cola takes three days. You know, you send your artwork to the government, you say this is what it is, this is the recipe, this is what is going on, this is what's going in. They look at it, they say, okay, has the Surgeon General's warning, doesn't have anything inappropriate, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a whiskey, it's fine. And so, three days, in and out the door. So nine months in, they're like, we don't know what to do with this thing, no one's making this, we've never seen this before, we only approve things we know. And so you kind of, I had to climb kind of the, the ladder at the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Trade Bureau to talk to someone who can make decisions. So nine months in, finally I get the right person's phone number and I talk to them and I was like, oh God, please don't hand. Just hear me out. We're doing this thing. No one's done it before. This is what's made out of. This is what it's similar to. What do we do? And she was like, all right, new class designation. Let's do this. So now there's a, a class designation for American agave spirits. Uh, that hadn't existed before, right? And so it's little things like that. Plus, educating the public on the fact that agave spirits can be made in America rather than just in Mexico and what the differences and what the similarities are, um, that's, that's something that's taking place, right? American agave spirits mm-hmm. typically is in anyone's lexicon. They've never said it before. They don't know what it is. Uh, most people don't even know that tequila and mezcal come from agave. Um, so there's education that has to happen just in the name itself. And, uh, and so it's been an uphill battle, I'll tell you. Many times I was like, oh, we're just gonna make a vodka. We're done with this. We're making a vodka now, <laughs> you know? Um, but maybe it's my real passion for abuse. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's my obsessive personality, but we just couldn't let go. And so, I mean, here we are. <laughs> I was going to say, and here you are, and hopefully, like I said, uh, you know, as tides are changing and, and tequila, mezcal, agave is becoming more known here here in America, the thing that that stubbornness and uh, uh, persistence will, will pay off in, in the end. Uh, and I guess that leads me to my last question is what's next next for, for y'all? Just going to continue to kind of go down the path of the three uh, that you can talk about, that you can talk about, because yeah. I always don't want to let, let someone, you know, spoil a good surprise, but well, what's next for y'all? Yeah, so we've got some, oh God, we've got a couple products that we're working on right now um, that people are either going to really love or really hate. <laughs> um, and so hopefully, hopefully more love, hopefully more love than hate. Uh, right now, the cool part is uh, we're really working on branching out so right now we're statewide in missouri kansas oklahoma um we are uh in discussions with distributors in florida and illinois and kentucky and tennessee and uh, colorado and california and texas uh, and so uh and nebraska Oregon. and so the big part for us is just branching out expansion branching out expansion right and uh we've got a very very connected um sales manager who's been with us from just the absolute beginning um, he's doing a wonderful job he's very well connected he, he's talking to the right people and so for us it's just kind of a matter of time um, to expand in those mm-hmm. things um, you know little things like gold medal of the world spirits competition kind of puts us on the map a little bit uh, gives us some um, gives us some a little bit of notoriety and I think that helps as well because you know the first thing a distributor asks is well, is it any good, right? And then in the past, what do we say? Well, you know, you'll just have to just have to taste it, and you know, maybe it's not your thing, but it could be someone's thing. What do you do, right? So now we just say, oh yeah, I want a gold medal of the world, and we're like, oh, okay, yeah, let's talk. Right? And so yeah, that 
So we got oh, that going. That, for that's awesome to hear and awesome to see. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 then is there like I always ask this too because I'm I'm always curious to see what people's thoughts are. And I guess so. This might be my my last question is, uh, do do you guys ever kind of do some like collaboration types or or different things or or little more funky finishes like get a little more creative, um, or or is that kind of like no? I I just want to keep doing what we're doing, keep making good things, and and see where that goes. Yeah. So you know, step one is uh, create some good spirits. Step two is create some weird spirits. Uh, we do a couple of collaborations, uh, for instance. Uh, a coffee roaster has a couple of our barrels uh, for Heritage that we did, so he's doing a, um, an aged coffee in those, so that'll pick up a lot of notes of the Heritage. We do give a lot of our barrels to the breweries around us, and they make some really crazy stuff with it. Um, so we do those, and ultimately, like, we just, we just want to connect with people. We want to get people in. We want to get them uh, liquid to lips, you know? That's, uh, that's the big seller for us is just liquid to lips. People try it. They love it. They buy it. And so yeah, that's kind of how it's been going. Well, well, Jeff, like, like I said earlier, it sounds like you all are doing some great things. It's, it's really cool to see what you all have been able to do in a, a like you said, a, you, a, a category you all had to create uh, here in America. So, so people would even know what in the world to call it. And uh, if you, if you haven't yet folks, check them out. Mean Mule Distilling Co. They're based out of Kansas city. And Jeff, thanks for, for taking some time to share your, your guys' amazing story. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate it. Uh, it was a lot of fun talking to Jeff. So much insight and so cool to see what they had to do uh, to, to really make agave spirits work in America and how much groundwork they laid for others uh, going forward. Don't forget to check out our last episode next week here on Summer School 2021 called Getting Creative with Connor Query and Carrie Johnson, uh, two creative folks in the beer world who may not be working with beer but working with uh, some of their... Uh, outside products so to speak um, it's, a, it's a very fun episode and you won't want to miss that remember check us out on our social media at hop spirits all one word on instagram facebook twitter and tiktok and if you can give us a five-star review subscribe to us on youtube uh, just tell your friends about us we really appreciate all the love and support from y'all and remember until next time cheers everyone